Hannah, thank you so much for sharing that. You shouldn't have done such a good job. Because now you might get to do it again. So howdy, y'all. Since um, Dress Country will talk like a country boy. No, not really. I won't do that. I won't bother you like that all the way through the service. I kind of have that. Well, we won't talk about it. When I go back and listen to my sermons, I um, wish that my voice was not like it is. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever done that, but it's one of those things that you just don't, you don't like the way the sound of your own voice. Um, we are uh, on this progression and on this, and it, God just keeps putting things in the right place at the right time. And um, I think it's interesting that, that Adam mentioned Psalm 23, and then Leanna mentions it, and we, we just got out of a Psalm series, and how big God is, and then last week we really kind of focused on who do you say I am, and that board is just jam-packed with amazing thoughts of each and every one of you um, about, about what it is that, that Jesus was, and he asked that question of many people, and um, I think it's important for us to answer that question as well. I um, came across a and some of you may follow him on Instagram, uh, Bob Goff, the guy that wrote uh, Love Does. By the way, he's coming out with a new book. I think it's out in a week. Everybody Always is what it's called. Um, but he uh, had a quote this week. It said, So darkness fell, his friends scattered, hope seemed lost, but heaven just started counting to three. I love that because they knew what was going to happen. And um, those that were already there knew what was going to happen. And I think that those that are already there, and we find this in, in, um, in oh man, I can draw on a blank. Where is it? It's, it's Romans 12. Um, the great cloud of witnesses, is that right? Yes. Romans 12. Um, Hebrews, it's Hebrews 12. It's not Romans 12. It's Hebrews 12. Um, this great cloud of witnesses, it's not 12, it's 11. Oh, goodness. I should have wrote that down. Um, wouldn't have messed it up so bad. Uh, but we have this great cloud of witnesses, and those people who have gone before us are now looking on and watching what we do and cheering us on and applauding when we, when we succeed. And they're up there weeping when we fail. And, and they're, they're up there feeling what we're feeling and we're feeling, uh, knowing what we're going through. And um, so last week, Jesus, Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am? And we wrote on the board, and it's awesome. Now, it's time to move on. So what I want to do, and you, did you all get a chance to read these? I know it's hard to turn around and look back here. Did you all get a chance to read them all? There's some really amazing ones. I like these. So we are going to erase, and we are going to start fresh today. And the question that we're going to answer today is a little bit different, because it's the question that I believe Matthias kind of answered when he took on the role of substitute or replacement. The question is, now... What do we do? 
so as the sermon progresses, and as the day progresses, and as we start working through some things today, I want you to go and write. Now what do we do? Don't write that. Answer the question. <laughs> Answer the question. What are you going to do? What is your next step? You have just seen Jesus Christ die on the cross, buried in the tomb, and rose from the grave. Right? That's what Easter is all about. Now he has ascended back into heaven. And that's what the uh, really nice Lego illustration on the front of your bulletin is. It's Jesus ascending back into heaven and all of these people standing around looking on and saying, okay, now what do we do? Now what do we do? I believe in each of our spiritual lives, we need to get to a place often where we ask, now what do you want me to do? Don't just continue on doing the same old, same old, same old thing. Always be asking the question, now what do I do? What do you want me to do now, Lord? Where do you want me to go now? What is it that you want me to get accomplished next? So that's what that question uh, is on the board today. So like I said, anytime throughout the message, you're welcome to go and write on that board. I won't be offended if you get up and go right, right in the middle of the, of the message. Okay. If you already know what the next step is, you already know what you're going to do this week, then go write it on the board. Anytime from now till the end of lunch, I want you to write on that board and answer that question. Now, what do we do? You know, I really like Christmas. I like the food. I like hanging out with family, friends. I like uh, the relaxation that comes around Christmas time. I like the fire in the fireplace and I like the, um, you know, all those great things. I love giving gifts. I love uh, watching the kids open their gifts. It's, it's so much fun to see the look on their face, the surprise, the, the uh, you know, the initial, whoa, look at this. But then there's that, that thing I dread. The putting it together is not too bad. But getting it out of the package is ridiculous. I, you can't, I mean, it takes forever. And then the amount of packaging for the size of the item is absurd. It's just ridiculous. I mean, it fills up like four dumpsters, and it's just bad. And trying to figure out what you're supposed to download and what cable needs to plug, be plugged into where and how it's supposed to work, that's just... I. Ugh, drives me nuts. I want whatever it is to function to its fullest, but I don't want to read the instructions on figuring out how to do all that stuff. I just want it to work. BJ likes to do that. That's, that's, that's BJ's thing. I dread it. That's like, I just dread it. I like the things to work. I just don't like, I don't like having to figure them out. But after we open the gifts, there's this moment. It's like, now what do we do? Now what do we do? I think the original followers of Jesus had the same question come to mind. The last part of Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> In this part of the Bible, the followers of Jesus just finished, seeing, just finished seeing the Lord ascend into heaven. After telling them that he, his, they were to be his witness near and far, and in their own backyard and throughout the, all the earth, he told them to wait in Jerusalem, right? He said, go into Jerusalem and you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. The followers of Jesus are waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to empower them to be all that, that, all of, all that they're supposed to be.
I can imagine that question hovering over those early followers. Similar to the one we have at Christmas time, we open that Christmas gift. We're all excited to receive it, but then we have to figure out how to operate it before we can move forward with it. Now what do we do? Think about it. They just saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Two angels told them to, to quit looking into the sky. How long do you think they stared into the sky? Probably a long time, right? These two guys come up and say, hold on a sec. You, you guys need to go into Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Now they had a job to do, a mission to accomplish. They are to do what Jesus said, be my witnesses. I've been very excited. The anxiety would have started, would have been extreme, right? Now we get to tell people. But wait, what if we tell the same people who just killed Jesus and they come after us? Hmm. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. Can you imagine the joy, the fear, the uncertainty? Even the betrayal and sadness with the death of Judas. He was one of the twelve and now he's gone. Now there's only eleven. Now what do we do? Let's look at what the disciples did to answer this question. Now what do we do? Turn your Bibles. I think I've got, do I have this in there, Justin? Do we have Acts chapter 1? Okay. Let's, let's go through this and, and let's read this. Let's see if I can pull this up here. I guess I could just read it off the screen, huh? Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse, I believe, at verse 16. Is that one I have? Is that verse uh, 15? Yeah. Let's just go through this and read this. Let's look at it. So during this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place... Peter stood up and addressed them. He said, imagine that, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had, been, had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field head and, and, um, with the money he received from the treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place uh, in Ara- the Aramaic name Alcadema, I think is how you say that, which means field of blood. So Peter continues, This was written in the book of Psalms where it says, Let his home become desolate, with no one living in it. It also says, Let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time, who were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which one of these men you have chosen as an apostle. To replace Judas in this ministry. For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. (laughs) Then they cast lots. And Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. So this is the story. Now what do we do? This is how the young followers of Jesus. Young followers. They'd been following him for three years. But this is how they chose uh, to respond. 
I want us to notice a few things while they're answering this question. One, their numbers grew, but they were still very small. They were little, right? In verse 15, it says, During the time when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. How many people were there? About 120. This is really great. What thoughts come to your mind when you hear that the group was about the size of our group? There were only about 120 people pledged to Jesus at this time. Many of these people had been outside this, uh, never been outside their little area of the world, and now it was their job to go all throughout the whole world and share the gospel. Yikes. 120 men and women were told to go evangelize the whole world. Talk about starting from small beginnings. Steter, Peter stands up. He, he gets his, he gets his uh, you know, normal Peter voice on, and he addresses them. Verse 16, look at it. It says, Brothers, he said, the scriptures have been fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided them, who, uh, those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas sold Jesus to the religious leaders. About 30 pieces of silver. Not a lot of money. Jesus, Jesus, or Judas rather guided them into the Garden of Gethsemane after the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper to arrest Jesus. He stands there, he greets Jesus, and he gives him a kiss. Peter's telling the 120 Jesus followers in Jerusalem, everything Judas did was prophesied before it ever happened. It was foretold in the Psalms when the Holy Spirit inspired David to write them years earlier. Referred to scriptures like Psalm 41 and verse 9. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. And then in Psalms 52, 12 through 15, it says, It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Let death stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive, for evil makes its home within them. Can you imagine the thoughts, the, the, the feeling that the apostles must have felt? The, those who had followed Jesus all the way through, can you imagine what they must have felt when Judas betrayed Jesus? When they found out what he did, what would that must have felt like? Scholars believe psalms like these were written by David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that they predict the betrayal of Judas. What Peter is doing in these moments where the 120 have been praying and searching the scriptures together is helping the followers of Jesus make sense of what happened through the lens of scripture and prayer while being in the community with one another. Part of what it means to be in community is to do life together by gathering around, praying together, studying the scriptures together. Kate Cock talked about it a little bit Wednesday night. It's all about prayer. It's all about praying together. It's all about bringing, God's, uh, bringing God in and asking him our requests and, and sharing with him what, what we need and, and thanking him for what he's done. It is through these spiritual disciplines we engage with each other. It helps life make sense so we can know what to do next. So now what do we do? Right? We do church together. We join together. We get together. We spend time together. We pray together. We read together. 
Next, they relied on each other. That should go on the worship board. They relied on each other. We can rely on each other. Like these early followers, we need people in our lives to help us make sense out of what just happened. Peter's helping these 120 followers make sense of what just happened through the lens of prayer and scripture. He tells them all about how Judas' betrayal and his wicked deeds were exactly what were promised long ago. God had purpose in all of that. Acts chapter 1 and verse 17 Uh, We just read it. It says, Judas was one of us and shared the ministry with us. And then he drops down verse, uh, I think it's verse 19, uh, maybe verse 20. Peter continued, this this was written in the book of the Psalms where it says, "Let Let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. Judas ended his life after betraying Jesus. He tried to give back the 30 pieces of silver. It was too late. The religious leaders wouldn't take it back. It was considered blood money. So Judas ends his life. He took his life. It is described as a fairly gruesome scene, both here and also in Matthew chapter 27. Then the religious leaders took the blood money and purchased a field where Judas ended his life, right? It became a cemetery. People who died were buried there, and especially foreigners and people that were criminals were buried there. Peter helps the rest of the the, the 120 followers see God's plan. He's putting it all back together. No matter what happens, God has a plan in things. There may be things happening in your life right now that seem confusing to you. Maybe you just cannot see how the circumstances of your life can fit into the bigger picture of God's unfolding plans for your life. Maybe it's something confusing. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's something confusing going on at home. Maybe it's the kids. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a friend or or even a close relationship. God, this doesn't make sense. This is confusing to me. Now what do I do? I'm sure there's been times in your past where you were confused didn't know what to do. Then someone came along and helped you look back and find out what was really going on. Peter's helping these confused followers. He's taking them back and he's giving them perspective on what's actually taking place here. They relied on each other. They did church together. They were were coming together and um, putting things back in place. We find Judas betrayed and it was hard for them to take. How do we answer the question when someone betrays Jesus? Now what do we do? Have you ever been there? Have you ever had a close friend, a close relative, someone in your church family disown God? Run away from him? It's not easy to take. When Judas betrayed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was very confusing to the rest of the disciples. It was especially confusing because the guards arrested Jesus right after Judas sold him out. In Acts 1 and verse 17, brothers, he said, The scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. He said that was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. John MacArthur says, 
Judas represents the greatest example of wasted opportunity in all of history. Isn't that true? Judas had the rare privilege given to only 12 guys. There was only 12 guys in all of history that was given the opportunity to minister, to to live, to, to work with Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. He was there for more than three years. Judas had the same convincing, overwhelming opportunity to come to a real faith in Jesus as the other 11 did. However, his motives for following Jesus were always selfish. Judas no doubt shared the common Jewish hope that the Messiah would deliver their nation from the rule, the rude rule, that hated rule of the Romans. When it became obvious that it was not Jesus' plan and he was not going to get the wealth and the power that Judas wanted, Judas decided to cut his losses and get out with whatever he could salvage. Betraying the Son of God to the authorities for a small sum seemed a way to gain some kind of compensation. Later, when Judas saw how things were unfolding with Jesus, Judas had massive regrets. He knew he had made a terrible and wicked choice. He tried to go back and get a do-over, but it was too late. What was done was already done. The Bible says Judas ended his life. He took his own life. Maybe the disciples were wondering, now what do we do? Whatever you've done, whatever regrets you have, it's not as bad as Judas. Come up for air. By all means, don't do what Judas did and follow a bad decision with an ultimately bad decision to end your life. What might have happened if Judas, in the midst of a bad decision to betray Jesus, would have changed his mind and would have decided to trust him instead? Think about it. Even though Judas did a terrible thing, he was one of the original 12. There was incredible significance and symbolism with the 12 disciples. And how that related to the 12 tribes of Israel. And what they heard Jesus talking about concerning the restoring the kingdom. Right? Surely some of the disciples were wondering how the defection of Judas fit into God's plan. Do you think they wondered how Jesus' words in Matthew 19 were going to be fulfilled? Matthew 19 verse 28 says, Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. How's this going to move forward, since we only have 11 disciples now? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter answers the question, now what do we do? What Jesus had in mind for this vacated spot was to replace. Matthias replaced. Now what do we do? Well, at this particular time, God saw fit that they replaced that leadership. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, So now we, we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time. We were traveling with the Lord Jesus from the time he was baptized by John until he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. The answer to the question, now what do we do at this point in the timeline of the, of the church was to replace that leadership. Peter gave the qualifications. There were, must have been many that qualified, but only two rose to the top, right? 
We, they, they needed an eyewitness. They needed a guarantor of faith, a guarantor of faith. They had to have been with Jesus. They had to have seen Jesus teach and Jesus heal and Jesus die on the cross and Jesus resurrect. They needed an eyewitness. Now, who do we know that has this kind of resume that fits this kind of job description? The church at this point evidently needed that extra leadership, the extra person. It wasn't something that they could just let slide. It was important at the time for credibility to have those 12 people, those 12 witnesses to share what Jesus shared with them over the last three years. It was important too, as the church was getting off the ground, to have those 12 seats filled. However, this was the last time that God did that. We see over in the book of uh, Acts, just a few chapters later, in chapter 12, that someone was, uh, the persecution began, and someone was killed. Remember? Remember who that was? Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We talked about it a few weeks ago. About the time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. We don't see James being replaced. But we have to understand that there was about a 15-year difference between when Judas betrayed and when James was killed. It wasn't as important after, uh, at least, at least from, from Scripture, it wasn't as important to replace that leadership. The church was well underway at this point. There was a significant difference in circumstances. So the answer to the question then would have been very different than the answer to the question now. Now what do we do? The answer to the question, now what do we do in this particular case, was we need to nominate someone else. Verse 23, look at it. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry. For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. Two in were up for the vacant seat. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and another man named Matthias. Both apparently met the qualifications. They had both been with Jesus from the, from the time he was baptized till the time he ascended on Mount Olives. Both of these men lived every single day with Jesus. Both apparently were ready to fulfill this function as an apostle. The scripture says that they cast lots. Now, up to this point in the Bible, casting lots was a way that, that people would find out what God wanted them to do. Many times throughout scriptures we find casting lots is something they would do. They'd put a mark or a name on a piece of stone or a piece of parchment. They'd throw it in a bowl and they would roll that bowl around. They'd swirl that bowl, those rocks around in the bowl until one fell out. And whatever one that was that fell out, that was the one deemed God's will. It's interesting. This is the last place in the Bible where we see followers of God casting lots to understand the will of God. I believe the reason is that he was about to empower the followers of God in Acts chapter 2 with the Holy Spirit. Here, they weren't given the gift of the Holy Spirit yet. They weren't given the gifts of the Holy Spirit yet. 
It wasn't until Acts chapter 2 that that happened. Today we can determine the will of God as people pray, search scriptures, allow God to use the counsel of wise people. The people who walk with God, know God, and allow those circumstances to help determine the will of God. The Holy Spirit leads people who know him and call Jesus their Lord. However, this day, they drew lots and Matthias was chosen. Why him? Why Matthias and why not this other guy? Justice. Uh, Barsabbas. Maybe it was easier to say. I don't, I don't know if it's easier for me to say. But we don't know anything about it. We don't know anything about either one of them and what happened to them. I don't, if, if Barsabbas was, was one that qualified, don't you think that he probably went on in, in all of church history? Probably, but we don't hear anything about him. Some traditions say that Matthias ended up in Ethiopia, but we don't know for sure. So what does this have to do? What does all this have to do with this question, now what do we do? How can, we, how can this help us answer this question, now what do we do? What does this part of the Bible have to do with me? What does Jesus have in mind for my life based on what we've been talking about and looking at from this Acts chapter 1 passage? Now what do we do? Part of Christian obedience right from the beginning was the, was the call to play great parts without pride and small parts without shame. Hear that again. Don't miss this. Write it down. God wants us to play big parts without pride. He wants us to play small parts without shame. There are no passengers in the kingdom of God. There are no great parts and there are no small parts either. The different tasks, the different roles that God assigns to people are God's business. They're not our business. Our business is to be obedient and faithful, to follow Jesus and to be his witness wherever God may lead us. Similar to what these psalms will be, these, what Adam was talking about when we present our psalms. It's, it's looking for where God has chosen us to be. Where does God want me? Why am I in this situation? What is the purpose behind me being right here, right now? What is my role? Our business is to be obedient and faithful. Follow, the Je- follow Jesus and be his witness wherever God is leading. Whether your role in the kingdom of God is recognized, like Matthias, or not recognized, like Barsabbas. We all have a role to play in helping to make God's kingdom full and complete. It may, it may be a larger role, but it may be a smaller role. Either way, it's a role. And although you were not there at the Jordan River to see Jesus baptized, nor were you there to see Jesus ascend into heaven on the Mount of Olives, you and I are called to be a witness to the resurrection. We know what happened back then. We've been told exactly what took place. Moment by moment, as time went by, Jesus Christ went here and did this and then died on the cross and was there three days in the tomb before he arose again. We were there. We can read about it. We can experience it. We can pour ourselves into the scripture. Now, 
we have to answer the question, God, what do you want me to do? How do we answer the question, now what do we do? Go right on the board. What's your next step? What, what, what are you going to do? It doesn't have to be a grand plan till all eternity. It doesn't have to be that. It can just be just one next step for you. Just one next step. I want every person in this room to write something on that board before you leave today. Now what do we do? What are you going to do? What's your plan? Where does God want you? What does God want you to do this week? It could be as simple as, God, I, wanna, I know that you want me to, to read my Bible every day this week. I, I know that I need, to, I need to come to you in prayer on a more consistent basis. Maybe it's, God, I know you want me to be a better dad. Help me. I want to. Now what do we do? God, I want to read a book to my kid this week. It could be as simple as that. What is your next step? It could be lead one person to Christ this year. It could be as easy as sending an encouragement to a brother or sister in Christ every month. Is that important? Absolutely it is. So I want that board to be full by the end of the day. There's already a few things on it. I bet you didn't notice that somebody got up and wrote on the board. There's already a few things on it. So let's fill it up today, okay? I think it's important to know, and I think it's going to be fun at the end of the day to go back and look at all of those things. Because you know what? It's going to be an encouragement to me. Like, look at what all these things that, that the next, the, the God wants these people to do. All these people to do. All of us to do. I think it'll be encouragement. Who do you say I am? Well, we answered that question. Many of us got to the point of that. Now we need to answer the question, now what do we do? Where do we go from here? What's your next right step? Thank you for listening today. And I hope this has been a little bit of encouragement to, to uh, find that next, next step. To find that next right thing to do. Once again, it doesn't have to be grand. But um, it has to be right. And it has to be somewhere, something that God is asking of you. What is that right next step? Write it down on the board because I want to read it. I want to see it. I think it'll be encouragement to everyone around you. All right. Sound good?